Welcome to It Starts Within, a podcast from Platinum Performance, where we'll dive into the health challenges faced by veterinarians and horse owners alike. Join us for inspiring stories about the latest advancements in equine care, treatments, and comebacks. You'll hear interviews with elite competitors, innovative researchers, and the veterinarians that devote their lives to horses and the humans that love them. At Platinum Performance, we know the power of nutrition starts within. Hello and welcome everyone. This is Jesse Bengoa with another episode of the It Starts Within podcast from Platinum Performance. We want to welcome you all for that are joining us. And I have with me a few of my colleagues today, and I'm very excited to have each of them here. They each bring a wealth of experience in so many areas of equine medicine. Um, and joining me, we have first and foremost, one of our clinical nutritionists, Abby Keegan. Hello, Abby. Hi, Jesse. Well, thank you for joining us. Abby is uh, is coming to us from the Midwest back in Iowa, and we're happy to have her here. And in addition to Abby, we have our senior technical services veterinarian who has many, many years in practice as a very high-level sports medicine practitioner, and that is Dr. Matt Durham. Hi, Dr. Durham. Hi, Jesse. So uh, these two are fantastic on a lot of subjects, but in particular, we are here today to talk about something that really impacts so many horse owners, uh, and that is the top line. And it is a term that a lot of us are used to hearing, but what exactly is the top line? How does it impact the horse's stability, function, performance? Um, and how do we take proper care of the top line, build a top line, and also recognize when our horse's top line may not be in the best of condition? So that is what Abby and Dr. Durham are here to talk with us about today. And let's dive right in so we can learn about this very important structure within the horse. So Dr. Durham, I'm going to kick it over to you uh, to begin with. And if you would let us know, you know, we, we hear this term a lot, the top line. Um, and I think when I think of that, I, I automatically think of um, the abdominal muscles on a human, the muscles that surround our spine, that type of thing on, on a vertical two-legged animal like us. Can you describe to us what the top line is exactly on the horse, what we're talking about when we say the term top line? Yeah. So just like just like in us, horses have uh, muscles essentially below and above the spine that cause it to hollow or to round, just like in us, the same sets, really. And when we're talking about the top line, in particular, there's a, a really huge muscle, the longissimus, that composes most of that all along the spine and above the ribs. And then uh, that ties right into the middle gluteal, which is the biggest gluteal muscle in horses. Those are really sort of the, the primary ones. There are many others, and those are the visible ones. So that's part of the, the complication is that there are a lot of muscles that we don't see so much. One, the spinalis doesn't get talked about a lot, but it's one at the, uh, the base of the withers tying into the longissimus. And then there's another little one called the multifidus that runs right against the spine, and it helps to stabilize the spine. But when you're talking about the core, which is something that I think we need to extend this conversation to a little bit, we do need to include the abdominal muscles because that is part of the stability of the horse. 
we look at the top line primarily because we can really see differences there. Uh, those muscles normally are quite large and fill in that space along the top, keeping it somewhat convex all along there. And when those muscles start to waste away, atrophy, then they're very readily apparent. That uh, is often just a reflection of what's happening throughout the whole body, but it's one of the places that we can visually see it quite well. So when we're dealing with muscle loss for all the various reasons, that's really the one of the primary places we're looking. The job of the longissimus, one important note is <clears throat> uh, it gets sort of confused. Those top line muscles actually don't lift the back. That's done by the abdominals. So the primary job of the longissimus muscle at the trot, that nice S-shaped movement that we normally have is happening with the left side, then the right side, then the left side contracting, having that nice sort of snake-like movement through the spine. At the canter, those muscles uh, fire at the same time, causing sort of a slinging movement of the hind end. The whole pelvis is tipped forward at the canter by those strong muscles. But you can imagine if you yourself were in the sort of the cat-cow position, if everyone's familiar with that, if you hollow your back, you'll feel the muscles on your back tighten up. We call them the erector spinae muscles on people, but they're really the same as the longissimus. And then if you were to go into the cat position, you would be using your abdominals to round your back. And all of that's the same in the horse. Outstanding, Dr. Durham. I could actually picture that movement perfectly when you were describing that. So thank you for that. Um, yeah. You know, it seems like in veterinary medicine, especially, and, and also in human medicine, we see similarities there where the importance of the back and maintaining the back and the musculature that surrounds the spine is is really elevating or our understanding at least is elevating of the importance of of really how that comes into play with the longevity of the horse as an athlete um, and making yeah. sure that that horse is is stable well conditioned and the back is protected and built up properly um, you know, for the lifespan or the competing lifespan of that horse. So Abby, I want to turn this question over to you. Tell us a little bit about the influences that are coming into play here with the top line. I mean, it's everything from exercise and conditioning to nutrition. Um, there's a lot of different things that can impact uh, the health and condition of that top line. Take us through a few of the outside influences that come into play. Absolutely. Yeah. So, I mean, it, and it's everything also right from the confirmation of that horse and how they were, you know, built from birth. Um, so I think what's interesting is so often when we think about building top line, we immediately want to go to exercise, right? And let's, let's work harder. Um, and so often it's forgot that if we don't have that fundamental nutrition there, if we don't have the components um, we can't build muscle, right? We can't build that top line. And so, so much of that comes back to that combination of all of those right elements. Um, one of the things I always like to talk about is continuously thinking about, you know, as we build muscle, um, there's constant protein synthesis occurring, right? Or creating building, um, but there's also breakdown. So every time we work a horse, you know, we're utilizing that muscle protein. And if we don't have the right 
muscle protein balance, or really we're talking about amino acids, um, not just protein, there to replenish and rebuild it, um, we're never going to exceed it at building that strong foundation. I love that. There's a lot uh, going into the equation here. So let's zero in a little bit on protein and amino acids and the role that they play, because really, you know, if you take a 30,000 foot view of it, it's simple. You know, like you said, there's muscle breakdown happening. So how do we provide those tools to our muscles or to the horse's muscles to make sure that they maintain um, and build properly? Um, but there's a few key components that come into it here. So can you take us through protein and amino acids and really the nutrients that are key to maintaining a healthy top line? Sure. Um, so, so generally, right. We think about protein, um, but really it's a horse doesn't essentially require protein. It's, it's the amino acids that make up that protein. And so there are essentially 20, you could argue either way, maybe some folks might say 21, 22, but naturally occurring amino acids and 10 of those are essential. So meaning the horse cannot manufacture enough of those amino acids themselves, um, to provide what they would actually need. So um, those 10 essential amino acids have to be consumed in their feedstuffs. And, and generally we like to go to certainly good quality forages, but even our forages don't provide quite all of those. And so we have to supply those amino acids in the diet. Um, so it, it is about, yes, protein, but it's again, more importantly, the, the specific amino acids that make up that protein. Um, the other piece, I think, that often gets confused is, you know, I hear so many people over the years that have said, well, I, you know, my horse just needs more air quotes weight over their top line. And as Dr. Dern mentioned, right, the top line is comprised of muscle. Um, and so, so often people hear the word weight or they're thinking weight over the top line and they want to add calories or fat um, to the diet. But, but really that's, that's not what we're doing, right? Not what we're looking for because we know that muscle it's muscle and it's built of amino acids. So I think amino acids are that first place to start. Um, and then certainly pairing a little bit of a good calorie source with it. So we know through some different studies that have been done that when you pair good quality amino acids with the right calorie source, um, you're going to increase muscle protein turnover. So that's kind of another piece to be aware of. Excellent. Gosh, Abby, as you were, as you were talking, I was sitting here thinking, wouldn't it be amazing if humans are thinking, God, I got to work on my ab muscles. I just need to add calories. <laughs> I just need to add weight. That'd be so easy. Uh, that was true, right? <laughs> <laughs> Unfortunately, like so many things in life, that's not fair. It doesn't work that way. Um, no, I love that. I, I really like how um, you described the components that go into building a top line, because I think a lot of people um, you know, me included before I got to know the two of you, I uh, thought of the top line in a very different way. And you don't necessarily right away, you don't necessarily think of adding those nutrients as a key part of actually building that top line, but they are so vitally important. Um, and I think examining the horse's diet from start to finish, you know, like so many equine conditions uh, is imperative because you're thinking about not only adding weight, but adding the right kind and musculature on top of just simply adding calories to the horse's diet. So um, I think that makes a lot of sense. And, you know, one thing that's going through my mind is um, as we're talking about the top line, how do you evaluate your horse's top line to ensure that this is 
you know, I'm looking at something that is in great shape, or I might need a little bit of work done here with my horse. So Dr. Durham, can you describe the top line and how um, how a rider should go about evaluating the the health and the condition of the top line on their horse? Yeah, yeah, for sure. I'm really glad we, uh, Abby brought up the the possibility of a horse looking like its top line is okay when really that's more muscle than fat. Uh, that's sort of the the skinny fat syndrome. So when you're looking at a horse, you can always tell when there's low top line or if if it appears that there's low top line, then there's definitely a low top line. That's from the withers back to the hip. If things are a bit on the hollow side, that's really less muscle than you should have. But you really need to get in there with your hands. If it, if it looks normal, you wanna see that it has that firm feel and that it's not just body fat. It's useful to look at a, a chart of the Henneke scale at some point to look at uh, the ways to evaluate body fat. The Henneke scale goes from one to nine, where one is emaciated and nine is uh, morbidly obese, with five being sort of the, the sweet spot of just the right amount. On that, you'll see that the crest, uh, the tail head, an area behind the shoulder, these are areas where fat will deposit. The one simple test to tell if a horse has too much is to press over the ribs about mid-barrel in that area, there are really no muscles between the skin and the rib. And so what you're feeling there is body fat. If you're feeling, if it's hard to feel the ribs, there's a good chance that there's a lot of body fat there. It's normal to have some, remember that, but we don't want to have excessive amounts. So you, you, want, to, you want to evaluate that and then really concentrate on those muscles, again, from the midline on top, over to the ribs and then back along the, the croup and into the muscles of the, of the hind end. Because even the, the quadriceps muscles and some of those other muscles, if you, if you really look in horses that have uh, lost top line, a lot of times those other muscles are abnormal as well. Outstanding. And you said skinny fat. So if anybody needs me, I'll be on the rowing machine. Um, thanks a lot for that, Dr. Durham. <laughs> thanks for that mental picture. Dang it. Um, well, that that's perfect. Thank you for that description, because I do feel like a lot of horse owners, a lot of the time will think, okay, man, I've heard about the top line. Okay. So how exactly do I tell, you know, if, if my horse is in good condition or not, and now what do I do about it? So I think that, uh, that would be the, the question of the hour is if your horse is not in excellent condition in terms of its top line, what are the next steps? So what, what do you do as a rider to take a horse that maybe needs a little TLC on the top line, um, and take them from Poham to really great condition, um, and making sure that you've got a top line that's working for the horse rather than against it. So um, can you take us through, Dr. Durham, a little bit of those, those next steps? So if you evaluate your horse, you're finding, you know, I think I've got a little bit of work to do here. Um, what is that work? Where does it start? And what would you suggest? Well, I think it's always worthwhile to loop your veterinarian in. Certainly during routine vet calls, during, you know, vaccinations or a dental then really ask about uh, their opinion on the on the condition. 
Because there are definitely some medical conditions that can contribute to uh, loss of the top line. And in those situations, then, of course, we would want to keep those uh, in mind. One of the classics is Cushing's disease, which tends to happen in older horses. The correct terminology is pars pituitary intermediate dysregulation dysfunction. And in those horses, several things happen. They, they do lose muscle from the disease. Um, there, you know, it has effects on the immune system. They uh, urinate more frequently. There are a lot of things that happen. The, what we normally see is the long hair coat. But of course, horses can have Cushing's PPID without having the long hair coat. So if that is going on, then we would need to regulate that because of all the important health uh, concerns associated with it. But that alone isn't necessarily likely uh, going to, to fix what's going on. We'd need to really have a program of exercise and nutrition. But remember, too, that even just horses as they age and people, even without PPID, will lose some muscle mass unless we take steps to prevent that. I always think of that old adage, if you don't use it, you lose it. Um, and isn't that true yes. as, you know, as we all age a little bit there and, you know, Abby, I would love to ask you about the nutritional component of that too. So if you do notice that your horse's top line is needing a little love, um, and you've got, you've got the diet where it should be, you know, you're feeding a diet based on high quality forage, you're minimizing your grains and concentrates. What is that next step in terms of if you were to choose um, some sort of supplementation to uh, to help support the top line? Um, you know, things like branched chain amino acids, the the leucines, the valines, the isoleucines. Um, can you take us through that a little bit and explain um, what those are and how they do contribute? Yeah. So just what you're saying, right, as Dr. Durham was mentioning, you know, as you evaluate that horse's top line and, and you can lay your hand on the horse's spine, for example, let's say over the loin or um, the mid back. And if your hand is, you know, kind of if you laid it on there along the side and the spine, and if your hand is convex, not concave or concave rather than convex, I guess I should say, um, you know, you're missing some lean muscle tissue there. And that's telling us that that horse is deficient in amino acids. So while forage, again, as always, we want that to be the foundation of the diet. Um, a lot of forages can be very deficient in a lot of amino acids. And so sort of starting with that foundation of, of how do we bring in something that is paired really well with a nice balance of amino acids into the diet? Um, if we've done that, then it's kind of that next step of how do we maybe pull some branched chain amino acids in, um, like you mentioned as well. And so um, the branched chain amino acids are isoleucine, leucine, and valine. Um, they really can be utilized when it comes to helping to activate what's called mTOR, um, which really kind of activates that muscle protein synthesis and can be supportive in the horse. I think the other piece then, once you've kind of got all those parts put together is, is how are we pairing in the right calorie source to be used with that? And of course we love using a high fat source that um, has, you know, is coming from a flax source and is really high in omega-3 fatty acids. So a lot of studies that have been done, even in the human space have shown that when you pair the amino acids with the right calorie source, 
And then of course, bring in some exercise. That's when you're going to see your biggest benefit. Um, one of the interesting pieces too, we were talking a little bit ago about I'm sitting here thinking, boy, in front of my computer screen, wouldn't I just love to eat the right diet and build muscle? <laughs> um, but the interesting part is in some of the studies that I had done at different universities years ago, um, we would actually use a large probe ultrasound to measure depth of the longissimus dorsi. So that large muscle that runs on both sides of the spine that Dr. Durham was talking about as an indicator of can diet alone change what muscle, you know, the, the depth of muscle. And it was interesting, you know, these horses weren't fat by any means, but just altering the amino acid content of their diet alone could build muscle. Um, of course, right. when we pair an exercise and, and do something with it, then we're going to see our biggest benefit. But, but if the horse's top line is deficient, even just the diet alteration alone, oftentimes you can see an improvement. That's always amazing to think. And I, I always think of the, the famous trainer, Peter Park on the human side. And he always says, Hey, you can't out train a bad diet. You just can't, there's, there's yeah. all the exercise in the world that you can do, but if the diet isn't there 50, 50, um, you're never going to get to where you want to go. So I think that's so important to realize for the horse too, is that they're natural athletes, you know, obviously that we are, we are riding, you know, a God-given athlete underneath us, but, um, but at the same time, we've got to feed them correctly to make sure that they reach their full potential. And I love what you said about fat. Um, you know, I think they're finding on the human side so clearly now as well that fat is in fact not the enemy. It's your friend, but it's the right kind of fats and choosing the right fats that matter uh, so much in our diet, but also in our horse's diet too. And I think with horses, a lot of riders are, um, you know, preconditioned, no pun intended, to um, to choose um, an oil, for instance, that, you know, they've, they've heard about for so long, feed them a vegetable oil, oil, a canola oil, you know, whatever it is, a corn oil. And I think for people like us, that sends us into convulsions, like, oh God, you know, <laughs> don't do that. Um, but tell us a little bit more, Abby, if you could expound on that a little bit about the importance of choosing the right oil and making sure that that omega-3, omega-6 consideration is made and that you've got this cool burning fuel that is going to really come in handy for your horse in terms of meeting your goals. Such a great point. Yeah. So fat is not fat, right? So, so all fat, you know, contains 2.2 times as many calories as a carbohydrate. Um, and I think so many people are aware of that, right? We can get more calories from it per pound. Um, but we often forget about um, what else is happening in the body when we feed different sources of fat. So how is it impacting um, the horse's natural inflammatory response, for example? Um, so by choosing a fat source that has been protected and, and taken care of, because we know fat um, can go rancid very quickly, which can destroy a lot of pieces of the horse's cell, um, and so choosing a source that's really high in omega-3 fatty acids, um, choosing something that has been protected or is um, manufactured in a way that it um, is going to, to be positive for the horse's digestive system and their entire body. Absolutely. 100%. So thank you for, for going into a little more detail on that. 
Um, and you know, with the top line, Dr. Durham, I want to point this toward you next. Um, the top line is an exercise in patience, correct? So this is not something that if a, if a writer is going to look at a top line and think, you know, I've got a little bit of work to do here with my horse. Um, can you talk about uh, the timeline a little bit and what a writer can expect in terms of, like you suggested, talking with their veterinarian, um, perhaps being recommended to a rehab specialist um, and starting that practice of building the top line? What is an expectation that a writer can have there? Because it's not an overnight success, correct? Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, you're really talking at at least weeks before you really start noticing things, in my opinion, and probably, you know, even giving it a few months to really build back up. And that's why, you know, we, we tend to think of lack of top line just in older horses. But this is a situation that can happen in any horse. As you were talking earlier, even in fit athletic horses, if we have them in the wrong sort of energy balance, they'll be working hard and hard and hard and actually losing muscle because they're that balance that Abby was talking about between uh, breakdown and rebuilding is negative. And they're really losing muscle for that reason. So you can't just work the muscle on. And I like the example of the horses that were not really changing their exercise level, but uh, still gained muscle mass. Uh, that just shows how critical all these muscles are just for part of day-to-day -day life, just moving around and, and all. Those muscles are constantly in use. So for me, rebuilding those muscles really takes some concerted effort, really thinking about the core overall and I think that's where I want to talk a little bit about the muscle that doesn't actually contribute much to the appearance of the top line, but contributes a really important job in terms of the stability of the top line, and that's that multifidus muscle. So the multifidus muscle is a sheet of uh, several layers of muscle that go from one vertebra to the next and, and that same vertebra to two beyond and one to three beyond. And then that pattern repeats all the way down the spine. An example of that muscle being used in us, let's say I want to pick up my coffee cup from the desk. You would think that the muscles that I needed to engage would be in my shoulder and in my arm. But the first muscle that engages is the multifidus because it needs to organize the spine in whatever position it needs to be in in order to stabilize that, uh, that motion. The same thing happens in horses. In order for the spine to be strong and flexible, because think of the job it has to do. It has to be able to bend and stay rigid in different uh, different positions. So it has to be able to do this in this really fluid way, has to be very strong. And that's where these muscles, uh, Melissa King from Colorado State University talks about these exercises a lot. She's done a lot of work with this. And then a lot of it was based on some work that was done using ultrasound, this time not looking at the longissimus, but looking at the multifidus. And they found that by doing these carrot stretch exercises, 
that the multifidus muscle would increase in size. It's a fairly small muscle, but it's a really important muscle. And again, it's not going to be the, the thing that by increasing its size, you're not going to see a change on the external surface of the horse, but it's something that's really important. And it also ties in with the rest of the core and overall fitness. So those exercises are really pretty straightforward, but they're the, the bending you know, down and bending laterally, all of those will, you would think it would just be for the neck, but it really has a profound effect all the way down the entire spine. Beyond those, of course, any of the exercises that we do with horses are going to be beneficial. Walking alone actually builds quite a bit of muscle because those muscles are engaged during the walk. But of course, trotting and cantering will build them in various other ways, along with all the other important muscles too. Yeah, absolutely. I, I adore that you brought up the multifidus muscle because it really is something that has been, I think, underappreciated in the horse. And Dr. Haley Sullivan at Colorado State um, now heading to Kentucky uh, to practice there. Um, she's done some tremendous work in the multifidus muscle and really has has emphasized how important it is to postural stability in the horse and how they're actually exploring using the multifidus muscle and examining the size of the multifidus muscle um, as, as a component to be used in injury prediction and lameness prediction and that type of thing with the horse. And her work has been fascinating on that. So that, that little muscle definitely can play a big role in, um, in the overall health and performance of the horse. Absolutely. Absolutely. So I want to throw it to each of you for some closing thoughts, some final words, um, on the top line. So Dr. Durham, um, you know, I should say Dr. Durham is, is boarded in sports medicine and rehabilitation. So you have definitely spent some time in your life and career <laughs> examining the top line. Um, so what would be your chief suggestion? Um, if a rider is looking at their horse and thinking, you know what, okay, I'm going to, I'm going to evaluate the top line as best I can on my own. Um, but maybe I need to pull on my veterinarian and see what's going on here. And perhaps there's some work to do. Um, what would your, your summation be for that writer? Well, I think one of the most important things is that we need to look beyond the back at times. We need to consider some of these other diseases like PPID, but also lameness issues can cause some back issues. We know if a horse is moving correctly, then they don't use their entire body correctly. So we want to ensure that a horse is shod well and moving freely in all the limbs in order for the back to be used properly. So we want to, we want to make sure that the whole situation is, is functioning as a whole. We want to make sure there's no back pain. Horses that are splinting their back a lot of times really aren't using that fluid movement very well, and they're not necessarily going to increase muscle mass. So overall, we wanna just, just keep horses moving, encourage natural movement, lots of, uh, some of the, one of the other exercises to do is to do the, the sort of tummy tuck where you push behind the sternum to get a horse to round its back. By doing that, they're contracting their abs and 
pushing the back back up into a more normal position because we know that as the back drops then it's it's a little more rigid it doesn't it's not in its sort of sweet spot neutral position just like in us and if it's not in that position then it's vulnerable to injury and much less effective Outstanding. Thank you for that, Dr. Durham. Abby, in the hot seat, you're up next. Um, you know, what can you what can you leave us with in terms of a summation of the nutritional component of what you should be paying attention to um, for these horses that may need a bit of work on the top line and also for those that that do have what we would consider a healthy top line, but the key there is maintenance. Yeah. So again, I mentioned, you know, forage is a wonderful source of protein, but not always. And quite often it does not provide the perfect uh, balance of essential amino acids, again, which are the ones that the horse cannot manufacture themselves. Um, so, so often we've got to make sure we're pulling those in, you know, from whatever product it is that that's being utilized. Of course, I love using the platinum um, GI um, as that source to pull in all those essential amino acids into the diet. Um, but also thinking about all of the structures in the horse's body that are comprised of amino acids. So, you know, we know that if we pull water out of muscle, it's 73% amino acids. Um, think about the horse's hair coat, their hooves, right? If you pull the water out, those are 95% amino acids. Um, and then going a little bit deeper, you know, to Dr. Durham's point about we were thinking about soundness and longevity, um, tendons, right? Something you can't visibly see, um, you can, you know, palpate for certain, but they're 93% comprised of amino acids. So if we have a horse who's lacking in top line, that's not supportive we know, right, they're amino acid deficient and think about those tendons and the potential for deficiency there. So I think that's such a critical piece to consider as well. Um, the other piece I guess I would leave with is, is just thinking about each horse as an individual and, and all of the other components going on. But certainly, um, you know, working with your veterinarian to discuss that if your horse is lacking in top line, first, we're going to start with forage. Maybe we need to pull in um, some forage that maybe is a little bit higher in just general protein. So that maybe has a little more lysine content, which is that first limiting amino acid. And then we're going to need to go to something that is has a well-balanced essential amino acid profile. Um, and then, you know, if we're still not seeing results, we're going to pull in some more of those branch chain amino acids and, and certainly make sure we've got that right calorie source paired. So good place to start. Those are excellent points, Abby. And, you know, you, you made me think as you were describing, um, of this whole horse approach to veterinary medicine that so many veterinarians have really veered toward, um, you know, in, in yesteryear, uh, we looked at a joint and we wanted to fix the joint. Um, and today we look at the joint and we see the horse that it's connected to. Right. And so we're, when we're looking at the top line, I feel like for riders, it's so important to see, um, and Dr. Durham pointed this out earlier, that it's not just a top line, it's connected. And that could be connected to another condition that may be going on in the horse. And it also could be impacting um, several more things that are crucial to a horse's stability and performance, like you just called out the tendon. Um, I picture the horse as this roadmap and all the roads are connected, right? It's this amazing 
uh, interconnected collection of systems that relies on one another. So I do think that's so important is to um, look at the top line, look at the horse's nutrient intake and know that there, there are other things going on there besides just what might meet our naked eye. Um, so I think that's a really important thing you just called out. Um, I want to thank you both for all of your wealth of knowledge. We are so happy to use and abuse that knowledge at any time. <laughs> so thank you for educating us um, on the top line and how important it is. We hear so much about core strength in humans. Um, and although I think most of us writers understand it in the back of our minds, as far as it plays a role, we know it's important, but really recognizing how important and the components that come into play there um, is key to making sure that we can maintain our horses and um, give them a healthy, long, productive performance career. Um, and that is something that's important to all of us. So thank you to Dr. Matt Durham and Abby Keegan um, and to all of you who are listening with us today. And we certainly hope that you join us on the next episode of It Starts Within. And between now and then, uh, I'd encourage you to go to platinumperformance.com to our magazine section. Platinum Magazine has a great article authored by our very own Abby Keegan. Um, and it also includes some contributions by Dr. Durham and Dr. Melissa King as well. So please go and read more about the topic that we've covered today. I hope you all enjoy the rest of your time today. And thank you again for joining us. Until next time, I am Jessie Van Goa. And thanks again to Dr. Durham and Abby Keegan. Uh, we'll see you on the next one.